Well, folks, uh, good morning. My name's Paul. If I've never seen you before, I look around and I'm seeing um, faces I don't recognize. And uh, you're so, so welcome if you're a guest here this morning. Uh, you join us. We're week six of a series of we don't know how long, um, where we're just reminding ourselves as a community, as a church, this is who we are. This is what we're for. This is why we do things and this is why we do what we do it's just a reminder this is what's important to us as a community as a church as a group of believers and uh, Chantel did a stunning job last week as she really dived into the whole area of worship uh, worship is the whole of our lives it's the giving of ourselves to him but one of the ways in which we express our worship is through the singing of songs which is what we've done so far this morning, and which we're going to do again after I've spoken, which is why we've kind of mixed things up a little bit this morning, uh, as I think you, that you did last week. And the reason why worship to us is so important is it's because it's the place that we give of ourselves to him as our offering to him. And it's in those moments, it's in those times when we sing these simple songs that we encounter his presence. We planted the church a number of years ago and we wouldn't have started or we would have struggled to have started the church unless we had competent people to help lead our worship. And we were so grateful, our friends from England, many of you will remember them. Um, some of you have got photographs of them um, in your living rooms, I'm sure, of Phil and Hannah who led our worship, did just such a stunning job in doing so, it is so central to who we are. It's so important. And I want to take some time this morning uh, just to take it a little step further. And I'm going to use um, a passage of Scripture which will be known to some of you and maybe less known to others of you uh, from the Old Testament to really help us understand it. It's about the ark, the ark of God. Now, my earliest uh, memories of the Ark was Raiders of the Lost Ark, if ever you've seen that film. I remember seeing it as a, as a teenager, probably when it was first came out, and just bemused by this golden thing that you didn't dare open it. And uh, it's something holy and reverend about the Ark. Now, the Ark really was a wooden box, which was uh, covered in gold, and inside of the Ark, were contained the two stone tablets which uh, God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments inscribed on them. But it wasn't just a box. You see, the ark was where the presence of God resided. It's where he was present. And it was the ark that amongst the people of God uh, was his presence among them. In Exodus 25, it says, There above the cover between the two cherubim uh, that are over the Ark of the Covenant law, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. It was the presence of God amongst the people where he wanted to meet with his people. Now, because the presence of God was there, strict guidelines were given as to you don't mess with it. You weren't meant to touch it. 
you meant to handle it and the tabernacle, which was the tent where the ark was kept. And you are meant to treat it with utmost respect. Why? Because the presence of God, the awesomeness of God, the holiness of God, you did not dare go near it or touch it because of his greatness. Now, the ark was uh, captured by the Philistines during battle many years later. And they stole the ark from the Israelites. But it caused such great harm to the Philistines that they didn't want it. That like awful things happened. And you can read about that in the Old Testament. And they were like, we don't want this ark of theirs. And so they stuck it on top of a cart. And they kind of uh, hitched it to a couple of animals and pointed it in the directions back to the Israelites. Like, you take your ark back. It's causing us a load of grief here. We don't want it. So it returned back to the Israelites. Now, later, later, this is a whistle-stop history of the ark. Um, David, who was made king, had recaptured the city of Jerusalem and had named it the city of David. It was the central place for the people of Israel. And David wanted the ark to come to the city of David, to this holy city of Jerusalem, So that the ark, the presence of God, would be in the middle, would reside in that city amongst its people. But they needed to go get the ark. And so we're going to read together a long chapter. And I'm just going to encourage you right now, switch on the brain, because you need to really get the story. Because if you don't get the story, you're going to miss loads of stuff here. So I'm going to read it through my bestest reading English as possible as I can. I might even pause and break and chiver you up and you can nudge each other. Are you still concentrating? We'll see how we go. Hopefully the words come up on the screen. There they are. Are we ready? David, again, brought together all the able young men of Israel. 30,000. So we're beginning to picture this in our understanding. 30,000, that's a lot of people. That's that's the population of Carrick Fergus and then some. 30,000 young able men have gone with David. He and all his men went to Bala in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, to bring it back. Uh, Who is enthroned, blah, blah, blah. They set the ark of God on a new cart. A new cart meaning it was on an old cart. We just understand. Picture in your mind a, a farmer with a wooden kind of thing on wheels. And that's kind of the thing that you're conjuring up in your mind. So it's put on a new cart, and it was brought up, brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and, how do you pronounce that? Ahio? Help me. That's all I'm hearing. That's what we're calling. Uzzah and, sons of Abinadab, I can do that one were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it and was walking in front of it. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord. I don't know what that looks like to celebrate with all their might, but just conjure up a party or a celebration of some kind. And they had castanets, harps, Lears, tambourines, rattles, and cymbals. Do you know what that reminds me of? Liars. Did, did I say liars? Oh, liars. What is it? Liars. 
Well, listen, mate, it's Lear's from where I'm from, all right? Do you know what it reminds me of, though? It's like the family service when all the kids are in the rooms and the box of all the rattles and things are at the door and all the little, we thought it was a good idea to give all the little kids something to make a big sound for and we sing the songs. It reminds me of that. Half of you know what I'm talking about and half of you think he's completely lost the plot. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen, that's the, the cattle, stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. Really harsh it sounds, doesn't it? And we're going to come on to why that happened. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now, King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpets. How are we doing? Do we need a little nudge? Are we still on the story? Yep, okay, I would have switched off like ages ago. I'm just being honest. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, Dave, daughter of um, uh, Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Then he gave a loaf of bread, uh, a cake of dates, a cake of raisins to each person and the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women. And all the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, or however pronounce her name, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David said to her, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. For by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And Michal, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. 
here ends a long chapter from the Old Testament. This is gold, this chapter. And there's so much that we can take from it. And I want to break it down into five acts. This is like the theater right now. Act one is the first seven verse is uh, the ark returning to Jerusalem on a cart. David has gone with the 30,000 people to get the ark. He's gone to get it and he wants to bring it back to Jerusalem. And he wants it set in place amongst himself and his people that they would be blessed in the presence of God. We need to understand so much of what I want to talk about is his presence among his people. And the ark represented that very thing. He's gone. There's great celebration. There's all the uh, instruments and they're, they're giving it stacks. And then suddenly what happens is the cattle, they would have been bullocks that would have been towing the cart, stumble. And Uzzah just simply puts his hand on the ark to stop it or to prevent it from falling to the ground and hitting the deck. And he causes what was known as an irreverent act. And because of it, God struck him down dead right there and then. And we might read that and think, oh my goodness, that is just so out of order. What, what is that? It's so severe. There are a number of things that are taking place here. Why was it so uh, irreverent? First of all, the ark was not meant to be uh, towed in that way. It was not meant to be touched in the first place, and Uzzah touched it. This is about his presence, his holiness, his awesomeness, his glory. Because of our sinful nature, coming before God in that way was an irreverent act. God had specifically given to Moses many years before the correct method for handling God's presence. It should not have been towed on a cart like the Philistines had done. It should have been carried by men and it should have been carried using poles. It says here, cast four gold rings on the outside of the ark and fasten to it four feet with two rings on one side and two rings on the other and make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry it. These were the instructions that were given to Moses and given to the people. This is how you move the ark. You don't put it on the back of a tractor. You carry it and you carry it with poles. And that was the problem. That was what was wrong. Second thing was, the ark had been for a period of time in Abinadab's house where the sons of Uzzah and that other fella had perhaps become accustomed to his presence. It was just the, the ark kind of in the back room. It was just there. And sometimes we become familiar with something that we forget what's so precious. And we as people can become so familiar to just simply coming and, and singing the songs that we actually miss and we actually forget what it is that we're actually doing. The, the, the important reverent act that it is by coming and by standing and by singing the songs that we do. And then thirdly, the account tells us that the oxen stumbled. The cart didn't fall and neither did the ark. But in that brief moment, Uzzah reached out, 
taking the responsibility on himself as a human being to somehow protect God and protect him from falling like God needed him to do that. And we took, he took matters into his own hands. How does this apply to us? How does this influence us today? We don't mess with the presence of God. That's basically it. We don't mess about with it. His awesomeness, his holiness. We don't mess around. We treat it. We treat it reverently. We often talk, don't we, about ourselves in, in this kind of way. I say we, we, we don't take ourselves too seriously, but we take him really seriously. So we dress down. We dress comfortably. We um, are fun, hopefully, with each other. We, um, in a fun, kind of loving way, we don't take ourselves too seriously, but we do take um, our relationship with God really, really seriously and reverently. For those who are called to lead our worship, our corporate worship, the guys that stand here, this is a reminder that they lead because they are called. There were only certain people that should have been allowed to carry the ark. They were the Kohathites, which were from the tribe of the Levites. The Levites were from the tribe of Levi, and they were the priests who were meant to minister before the Lord. And it was another tribe, it was a son of Levi, the Kohathites. They were the ones that were chosen. They were the only people that should have been able to deal with the ark. And for those that lead our worship, they must be reminded and encouraged that, it is a, uh, that they are called and that it is a great responsibility in what they do in leading us. And I'm reminded in some ways it's similar to those of, in all kinds of manners of leadership that we undergo uh, greater judgment or scrutiny, as it were. As we approach him in worship today, Let's be reminded of how awesome and powerful our God is. Let's not mess around with it. Act two, David was angry and fearful. David is angry because uh, what happened that day. And he's like, how may I ever get the ark back to be with me? Moving quickly, act three, the house of Obed-Edom is blessed. Uh, David abandons the first attempt, and he leaves the ark with Obed-Edom. Now, Obed-Edom wasn't just some random bloke whose house was next door to where they ended up. He was a, a chosen person. He was from the tribe of the Kohathites. He um, was the south gatekeeper to the city of David, and he lived just outside the walls of the city. He oversaw the storehouse at the south gate. And he had a large family of children and grandchildren, 62 in all, at the writing of 1 Chronicles, where we find uh, out more information about him. He and his family would have had a legacy, a dynasty of ministering before the Lord. And it was right. He was the right man in the right place at the right time to receive the ark. And during this time, it says for three months that the ark was there, the Lord blessed him and his household. Now, that's all it says. We don't know what it means by blessed. We don't know exactly what that meant. But I want to hit pause for a little bit and for us to consider what does it actually mean when his presence comes 
and blesses us. You see, it's very different today than it was all those years ago. All those years ago, God was in a box. In some ways, quite literally. His presence was contained to a box. Whereas today, his presence is omnipresence by the person of the Holy Spirit. The cross of Jesus, at the moment when Jesus died and gave himself up, what happened in Jerusalem, in the center of Jerusalem, in what later became known as the temple. In the temple, there were different parts of it. And there was a place called the Holy of Holies, the most holy of places where one person, one man every year could go one day. The high priest went into the Holy of Holies once a year. And you know what they did? And they used to tie a rope around the ankle, around the leg of the high priest. And he was able to go into the Holy of Holies. And the reason they tied a rope around his leg is because in the presence of God, in his great holiness, this sinful man, this sinful priest going before the Lord, if there was something not right in his presence, he could have died. And so they would have pulled on the rope and dragged him back out again. In that moment, Jesus' death on the cross, the veil, the curtain that separated people and God's presence, the veil, the curtain was torn in two. And in that moment, at that time, in that place, Jesus' blood shed for us meant that it covers our sin, our stuff, our thoughts, our words, our deeds, which allows us and gives us permission to enter into his presence, into his holy place. Each one of us, we have access to his presence because of the blood of Jesus. It's the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus. His presence is here. His presence is with us. And his presence is in us. If you are a Christian today, the moment you give your yes to him and you say, yes, God, his Holy Spirit lives inside you at that moment in time and place. Act four, David goes, second attempt, different approach. Because the Lord had blessed the house of Obed-Edom, he goes to try and get the ark. But he's learned his lesson. He's gone back. He's got the poles. Forget the cart. Forget the bullocks. We're going with the poles. And he's gone to get the ark. And it says here, every six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Can you imagine that? Like, can you? Like, calf, bullock, sacrifice there. One, two, three, four, five, six. Bullock, fattened calf, sacrifice. One, two, three, four, five, six. Same again, same again, same again. You can imagine. What a barbecue. It cost David. It was a sacrifice. Literally. You can imagine the animal. You can imagine the smell. It was a sacrifice and it cost him. 
And we must understand, we must remind ourselves again that worship is a sacrifice. Many of you will have known the term, a sacrifice of praise. It's taken from Hebrews 13. A sacrifice of praise is simply this, is choosing to worship regardless of circumstances. Is choosing to go before the Lord even though life might be difficult and really painful. It's choosing, even though I don't feel like it, I'm going to get out of my bed and I'm going to come to church and worship with my people. Regardless. A sacrifice of praise is, um, what have you been doing this week? How have you been spending your time pursuing his presence? How have you been using your gifts, your talents, your treasure, your time as worship before the Lord in the simple places, in the quiet places, in the unseen places before we come before the altar, before the throne, here in corporate worship together? A sacrifice of praise. David, later in 2 Samuel, you will know this story, many of you. Uh, it's a time when he wants to build an altar before the Lord, and, uh, and he needs the land. And uh, the land begin, be, uh, belongs to another guy called Aroonanai. And, um, and he basically says to him, you can have the land for free. And he says, no, I, I want to buy the land from you. I insist on paying for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God that which costs me nothing. Sacrifice of praise is about what are we bringing. When we come on a Sunday each week, what are we bringing to the altar? We don't have an altar. I kind of do this. I, I know some churches have an altar. It would be like a table. We have a stage. But what is it that we're bringing? We bring with us our whole lives and we present it upon the altar. And we say, God, here am I. All the good stuff. All the bad stuff. Warts and all. My pain, my sin, my worries, my concerns, my whatever it is, and I place it upon the altar. This is my sacrifice, which I present before you. Back to the story. David, wearing a linen ephod. David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. He and all Israel bring up the ark, and they were shouting the sounds of trumpets. And we can be led to believe that you know, David was half naked. It kind of says half naked. It wasn't like he was stripped down to his boxes or anything like that. A, a, an ephod really was like a priestly garment which was worn over the top of a set of robes. So it wasn't like he was, you know, there. The, the, the ephod was what the other Levites, the other priests would have been wearing. And the difference really in, in the narrative, in the story, is that David was the king. But David wasn't wearing his kingly stuff, his robes or his whatever a king would have worn. He was wearing the simple garments of the priests. He was wearing the simple items that the Levites would have been wearing. And that's simply what it means. So he was in, he was in his regulars rather than in his kingly stuff. And he was doing this, dancing before the Lord. And he was leading by example the people which he was leading. And he was dancing and worshipping before the Lord. Now, we're coming into land. Acts 5, David is despised. His wife, uh, his first wife, um, the daughter of Saul, uh, sees him coming. 
you can imagine, picture the scene in your mind. She's up in the, in the billet. She's looking from the window, and she sees David and all these people coming, and the, the ark is being carried on the men's shoulders using the poles. And she sees David, not in his kingly stuff, but in the regular stuff. And he's dancing before the Lord, and they're sacrificing all these people. And she's just there looking, going, oh, my goodness. Look at the state of you. You are so embarrassed. I cannot believe it. And she despises him in her heart. David um, gives all the people some bread and some raisins and some dates, and they go their merry way, and he comes back to his own home. And he has this conversation with her. And she expresses her feelings. So embarrassing, David. I can't believe that you were doing that before all these people, especially in front of the slave girls. What were you thinking? And David says this. He says, it was before the Lord. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. What do we learn from this? Our worship, our expression of worship, singing or dancing or whatever it might be, is before the Lord. And even though we do this together, and I love it that we do this together, the way that you worship, the way that you sing, whether you choose to stand still or whether you want to jig around a little bit, or whether you want to do some sort of dance, whether you choose to put your hands in the air, whether you choose to clap, or whatever it might be, it's for the audience, it's for the audience of one. It's before the Lord. It's not before other people. And we don't do it to kind of create a scene of like, oh, check me out, I'm the Holy Joe with the hands in the air. But neither should we become, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Self-conscious, thank you. Before other people of like, oh man, I, like I've spoken to individuals and I knew I used to feel like this. I, I kind of, you know, the hands are down here and it's like, but the heart is saying, man, I just want to give it some. It's like I'm at Windsor Park right now and I want to just go kind of, you know, it's an, it's an overflow of the heart that we express ourselves in that way. And we should not become self-conscious of the person beside us or other people or that we're going to make a scene. We do it before the Lord. It's unto the Lord that we do this. There's a lot there. And what we're going to do is we're going to worship him.